Uh, the reader is taken from Philippines, um, verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Well, his name's uh, Brian Welsh. He was the guitarist for a band by the name of Korn. Most many of you will know the band Korn, and uh, some of you probably don't. Um, he's the kind of guy that you would not expect at all to have a spiritual experience, uh, far less to come to a true knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, but that was just part of his testimony. If you go onto YouTube, there's a whole series of uh, testimonies under the title, I Am Second. And it's fascinating to hear the life of and experiences of some of them. Remarkably, since uh, Brian Welsh was converted, one of the other band members, the bass player of um, probably one of the most extreme rock bands in, in America, has also been converted. It's incredible, isn't it? What does it really mean? What does real, deep down, dramatic, life-transforming relationship with Jesus really mean? That's what we want to look at this afternoon, and uh, we want to look at it from the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, uh, and we're going to be looking at verses 9 through to 11. Remind ourselves again that, that as Paul wrote this, he's writing it to a church uh, which was in um, a, a very prestigious city. It would have been considered outside of Italy one of the more um, one of the more prestigious, uh, kind of affluent, one of the places to be, one of the places to live. He, he wrote it to uh, a whole series of people who at one time did not know Jesus and had now come to faith in Jesus and a church had been established in this city of Philippi. Uh, and this message from the apostle, we believe as we turn to this letter, it is the words of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, breathed out in such a way that Paul writes uh, as the spokesman of God, as an apostle to this church in a way which is timeless and therefore applicable to every church uh, from there on. So although it was written almost 2,000 years ago, it now applies clearly uh, and continually to every other church uh, and therefore to us as a church. What does real, dramatic, 
life-changing uh, faith in Jesus look like? I think Paul gives us a framework for this uh, for us today. We live in a world, don't we, I think, and, and in fact, Brian Welster, uh, uh, he just kind of uh, epitomizes, really, uh, what a lot of people would think uh, that uh, life should be. It's about creating an identity for yourself, uh, running your own pathway, cr- uh, following your own course, living a radical, dramatic life. <laughs> I think it's really amazing to see so many people who are living a really radical, dramatic life following people like this guy, <laughs> as he was. And then you start to realize all of these people who are living, or all of us who are living radical, dramatic lives following this person or that person or the other person, um, that we're actually not that radical really, are we? We've just got somebody else who we're following. Actually, when we look at uh, the, the life of Jesus and the message of Jesus in the New Testament, we find this. That to be a true, committed follower of Jesus Christ is the most radical life change that we can possibly experience. Everything outside of that, everything outside of a life which is committed to following Jesus is not that radical. It's just a different shape, it's just a a different flavour of following the masses, not being changed dramatically deep inside, not being taken over, not being uh, ripped apart and then recreated as a new person. That's how dramatic a life of following Jesus actually is. And what we see here as we come to, uh, we come to this, a dramatically different life, uh, we see Paul expressing, uh, as, he, as he comes to uh, explain to this uh, church at Philippi, a little bit uh, of how he sees it working out for them. The first we see is the foundation of this kind of dramatic life change. We're going to go from verse 8. Verse 8 we read this, For God is my witness... How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's the opening uh, verse that we're going to look look at this afternoon. Paul says, you need to understand, and God is my witness, I'm saying this to you. I can say this honestly. (laughs) I'm not putting any kind of shades on it. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm not using words so that when you listen to me saying this, you're going to think, wow, Paul is really incredibly holy because he thinks like this. He's able to say, no, God is my witness when I say this. I can confidently, before God, say this to you without any kind of contradiction. I yearn for you with all the affection." Of Christ Jesus. My heart, my desire is inclined towards you. When I think of you, everything inside of me just starts to pulsate 
in a desire for you. For your, for what? Well, we'll see what in a few minutes. But I yearn for you. And he's able to say this. I yearn for you with the same kind of affection as Christ Jesus. He's saying something dramatic there, isn't he? He's saying, I'm yearning for you, but you need to know as I say this, that Christ yearns for you. And in the way that Christ yearns for all of his people, I yearn for you. Paul is transformed dramatically. First thing I would say is that as we see this, we see that a kind of a selflessness, which is just remarkable, isn't it? Just, he is stripped of any kind of inward, self-ward looking. He's able to say, as he thinks of this church at Philippi, everything that of my being goes outwards to you. We were looking at uh, transformed relationships last week. We were seeing the, the selfless uh, giving of relationships found in Christ. Now Paul is saying that uh, God is my witness. I yearn for you with the affection of Christ. I am now living a life which is absolutely and continuously seeking to represent and pour out to others around me the kind of relationship that I know in Christ. One of the things that Brian Welsh said uh, in that video was that one of the transforming moments for him was when he realized the love of God for him. He, he said, it just poured over me, it poured over me, it poured over me. But it didn't just pour over me for, for me to suck it in in selfishness. It poured over me so that it then channeled outwards. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that my affection which I've experienced in Jesus, which I know, the kind of affection that has been poured out uh, for me, I now live uh, channeling, desiring to show that, to represent, just for that to pour out to you. Jesus said that this is how we ought to be. Paul goes on to say, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. There's a, a, I think it's the Guinness adverts that have done the a series of um, domino toppling adverts, haven't they, where uh, pints of Guinness appear during the advert, that's the final uh, crescendo. They've done a brilliant one through an Italian village where a whole series of not just dominoes but bookcases and, and tyres and all sorts give this domino kind of effect. Paul's saying it's a bit like that. There is a domino effect. There should be a domino effect in our relationships. Our love that we have received in Christ should have a domino effect uh, to those around us. He's saying I love because I have been loved by Christ, my love is pouring out to you. And now your love is to abound more and more. Let it just, let it just escalate. Let it uh, have this domino effect of bouncing from one uh, to the other. Jesus said exactly that with probably one of the most, um, for 21st century minds, one of the most 
uh, challenging of verses. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That sounds fine initially, doesn't it? You know, I think in in our culture it's perfectly uh, reasonable for us to think about the idea of love being replicated again and again. That we get that in a fairly easy way. We we want that. We want to experience that. What I find remarkable about this is the opening line that Jesus says. John chapter 13 and verse 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. When was the last time we thought about love in the context of a commandment? We tend to think about love as a kind of a, a spontaneous response or a, or a feeling or a, uh, the way we are. What does that do? It tends to uh, accept love uh, on the basis of people who we like, people who we get on with, people who fit into our framework. Uh, we love people who have loved us back. You know, it's all kind of uh, nice and, uh, and encouraging and, and everything's great. But we don't think about love in terms of being commanded. I command you, Jesus says, to love. I command you to love. You are to love. You are to love when you don't feel like loving. You are to love to people who you don't like. (laughs) People who you don't get along with. People who don't uh, fit in with your social group or fit in with your idea of who you are or whatever it might be. There is a, a transformed way of living that is contained in this phrase that Paul used and the words that Jesus used. It is a strange concept. I think most of our ideas of love are are driven by the kind of Hollywood notion of love. I think it's just shaped us. I've been thinking during this past week of all the different ways in which um, our popular culture and, and the kind of Hollywood movie scene affects our Christian thinking. All sorts of ways that it affects our Christian thinking. Rather than our Christian thinking shaping our approach and our idea to such a critical concept as love, we allow other things to shape and then we place them over our biblical idea. Let's let's talk about love. Love is a commandment. You are commanded to love. If we started to live that out more, if we started to live out obedience to a commandment to love rather than loving because it's just somebody who we want to love or loving only when it fits in with us or loving when everything is fine, we would be transformed. It would be dramatic. Our lives would be, our lives together, our relationships with others would be transformed. That is a transformed life. 
if we learn to love by command rather than learn to love or, or kind of just naturally followed love by emotion. Jesus said, and Paul is effectively saying, I, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. My love is replicating Christ Jesus. Uh, my prayer is that your, uh, uh, your affection would also be uh, the same. Your love would abound more and more. I want to live out what Jesus said, what Jesus commanded. What does that love look like? There are so many references that we could go to. So many ways in which we could see what that love looks like. One that we could take is a perspective of the concept of love that Jesus had, which is this. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. For if, while we were enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. That's right at the very centre of the message of the gospel, isn't it? The message of the good news of Jesus. That the kind of love that Jesus displayed is, is a love which is poured out not to friends, but to enemies. It's a self-sacrificing love, dying for enemies. And it says this, we, we are reconciled to God by the death of his son. We are reconciled, we are brought into oneness with God. So that when Jesus dies on the cross, we are brought into being one with Jesus. We are reconciled, we are in one relationship, in oneness with God. Now that we are much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his love? That's, sorry, sorry, saved by his life through his love. See how that's working. What does Jesus' love look like? And therefore, how does that affect how we are transformed in our attitudes and approach? It's like this. Jesus comes into the world. He lives a perfect life. But as he dies. Everyone who trusts and believes in him is brought into oneness with him. As Jesus dies, we are one with him. As he is nailed to the cross, we die. That's why we can say he was sacrificed so that we are not sacrificed. He dies. But we are reconciled, we are brought into oneness with Jesus as he dies. So that as he is taken down from the cross, as he is laid out at the foot of the cross, as they mourn over him, as he is carried into the tomb, as he lies dead, we are one with him. So that we can know that as he rises from the dead, we are one with him. We are reconciled with him. Much more that now that we are reconciled, now that we are brought into that oneness, we can know that we live 
we can know that we can know life. That's how it works. That's how this wonderful message of Jesus works. We are one with Christ. We are brought into that. So Paul says the foundation of my my desire for your transformed life is in relationship with Jesus, is is in replicating that kind of self-sacrificing love. Now we go on and we say, and this is, well, okay, that's, but what do I, how do I work that out? That, that's fine, but here I am, I, I'm just living day by day. You know, I, I'm a believer in Jesus, but, but how do I work that kind of love out? How does it change my life day by day? You know, when I get up tomorrow, I'm going to go into college, I'm going to go into work, or I'm going to, whatever it is that you do tomorrow during these next days. How do I actually live that kind of life, a transformed life, which is shaped by oneness with Jesus and by replicating that kind of love. Let's see what Paul says. He says that uh, my prayer is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. With knowledge and discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. It's what we read. Paul says, yes, transformed, relational, come into that relationship with Jesus now. What does it mean? It means that you come into a knowledge. What kind of a knowledge? What does knowledge mean? Knowledge is an idea, a concept which has just been there right the way through the Bible. Paul's idea of knowledge is a deeper, life-changing knowledge of God. A deep knowledge of God. Let me put it this way. We will, you and I, we will not progress We will not develop. We will not continue to progress and to change and to move forward if we stay like little children, not not immersing ourselves, not delving deeper and deeper in a knowledge of God. Proverbs, right at the very beginning, chapter 1 and verse 7, it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What does fear mean? It's not that kind of terror run away. It's that awe. It's that wow. It's that so big, I am just blown away. It's that sense of the greatness of, of God, that amazing, incredible. Now, do you see the connection that Paul is making? When we get into that, when we see how great and incredible and beyond and above and awesome God is, we begin to understand well, He must be, surely, therefore, the source 
of knowledge, of, of, of coming to terms with life. You know, I don't know about you, but, but life is it's complicated sometimes, isn't it? You're faced with complex decisions. You're faced with dilemmas. You're faced with, with moral conundrums. What should I do? How should I work this out? How do I make these kind of decisions? How do I decide how to live day by day? That's, that's what it's about, isn't it? How do I decide to, to live day by day? Who's going to help me? Where can I find help and strength? And Paul says, look, you need to understand that if you immerse yourself in a deeper knowledge of God... You will be able to, you will come to terms with, bit by bit, discerning, becoming wise, becoming just, you know that kind of, I'm going to put my brain in gear before I do something. I'm going to put my brain in gear before I say something. Now the problem with that is, quite honestly, unless our brains, unless our thinking Unless our hearts have been changed, if we put our brain and our thinking in gear and there's no change gone in in there, we'll put our brain in gear and we'll still do something which is wacky and crazy and stupid and wrong at best or downright sinful and repulsive. That's what we'll do unless we're changed. (laughs) And so he says this, look, If you immerse yourself in a deeper knowledge of God, your life will be changed. You will be able to to start to think differently. Don't you want to think differently? Don't you want to be able to approach life in a way which is changed? Because quite frankly, approaching life without change results in messed up lives. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Insight. You know, tomorrow, tomorrow you're going to be faced with a conversation with somebody. Potentially. That's not a prophetic statement, it's just a likelihood. (laughs) It's also likely that you have every potential to mess up that conversation. Don't you sometimes wish that you hadn't? You know, further down the line, later on in the week, when you think back and you think, oh man, I just, I said that. Why did I say that? that or why did, I, why did I look like that when he said that or she said that? Why did I turn my eyes up the way I did? Why, why wasn't I wise? Why wasn't I discerning? Why didn't I start to put into practice some of the things that I claim to know? And Paul says, look, you've got to just immerse yourself in a deeper and deeper knowledge. It's a trust thing. It's a faith thing. It's believing that if I do that, I'll get changed. There are many conversations that that I have with, with people who are struggling with, with carrying on with this, that and the other 
And, uh, and, and to be perfectly honest, the most conversations that I have are just looking in the mirror. Are just looking in the mirror, those conversations that you have there. Why am I not changing? Why am I not different? Why am I not progressing? I'll answer myself as I look into the mirror. The reason that I am not progressing is that I am not immersing myself deeper and deeper and deeper in the knowledge of God. That's faith that says, the more I try to answer these things inside myself, the more I'm in trouble. The more I look outside of myself to the source of knowledge, the more chance, the more hope, the more promise of real change. Discernment. And then, wow, what happens? What happens when Jesus comes into the world? God is no longer a distant kind of out there concept. Christ is crucified. And this is, this is just bizarre for people who want signs and people who want wisdom. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 to 24. But to those who are called, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Right the way through the Old Testament, we're trying to work it out. God out there, God communicating by prophets, God communicating by, by words sent to men, and then all of a sudden, whoa, Jesus, the wisdom of God, incarnate, living with us, dwelling with us. He comes into this world. And he lives a life which now I'm able to say, don't just think about growing in the knowledge of God. I'm able to say, grow in the knowledge of Jesus. Jesus is the, is the focus, is the center, is the point at which we can now gain knowledge and therefore become discerning people, changed people. What results in that? How does that work out? Why do we want discernment? So that you may approve what is excellent. In other words, so that you will be able to look on what is really good. Not good in terms of best outcome. Good in terms of what is right, what is holy, what is good before God. You can approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And so be pure and blameless. That, what does that say? It's saying that I begin to see ways of living and I start to live like that. 
I start to live a life which is pure and blameless. I, I live out what I am. I start to be who Christ has called me to be and modelled for me to be. The outcome of this kind of love, this kind of life-transforming love pouring out on me, changing me. We've got, we've got too much to get through. We're going to have to close. And come back to it next week. Can I just leave it with this? This thought. This guy Brian Welch. Struggling with drugs. He, he, he used a phrase which I thought was really stark. He's thinking about his daughter there in front of him. He was wanting to be... Um, a good parent towards his daughter. His outpouring of love was focused towards her. And he used words about his daughter's mother. He described her, a woman who was taken over with addiction. He described her as scum of the earth. And then he found himself in exactly the same position. You know, changed lives... Becoming closer and closer to Jesus. They don't result in a kind of an arrogance. In a, a changed life of which I am proud of. In fact, I would say the closer and closer we get to the Lord Jesus, the more we dig into that knowledge, the more we realize how unworthy we are. I, I, how unworthy compared to this perfect man who lived a life of perfection before his father, I realize that the life that I'm living is just not even on the same field. I am unworthy. But you know what? I'm loved. I might be unworthy, but I am loved. I might be falling apart in every area, but I am loved. Until we grasp that, until we see that that kind of transformed way of thinking, that kind of transformed life is the life that we're to be living, we will always be in danger of becoming arrogant uh, people who live good lives. Uh, having that kind of, she's the scum of the earth, he's the scum of the earth attitude. And when we realize the closer we get, the lower we feel, the deeper we fall into an awareness of ourselves, we realize I am not accepted by any of this good work. I am already accepted by Jesus because he loves me. He's poured out that kind of love on me. That is transforming. It's liberating. It brings freedom means that we can just hold our heads high before him because it's not down to the last failure as to his, how his attitude is going to be shaped towards me. He loves me because he loves me. I'm accepted because I'm accepted. I'm freed. I'm liberated. And therefore I can treat everybody else in exactly the same way.
I don't look down. I, I do not look down. I wish I could say that. But our pride wells up, doesn't it? We need to keep coming back and saying, Jesus loved me when I'm a failure, because I'm a failure. It, it was nothing to do with whether I'm living a life that's acceptable to him. He just loves me. It's poured out. Therefore, just I'm going to pour it out as well. Transformed lives. Pouring out because of what Jesus has first done.